You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Cade Young. And I'm Lucinda Larnock. This is the WFHB Local News for Thursday, December 1st, 2022. They would argue a bodily autonomy issue, that you just, you have a right to bodily autonomy. Later in the program, WFHB correspondent Grace Romine provides an update on Indiana's abortion laws after an Owen County judge blocked the state's partial abortion ban. More in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, Catalan announced on Wednesday that it will lay off 400 employees before December 2nd at its Bloomington facility. More in your local headlines. But first, your State House Roundup. Good afternoon. This is today's State House Roundup. For WFHB, I'm Cade Young. The U.S. Senate overcame a filibuster to advance the Respect for Marriage Act. This bill would codify federal protections for same-sex and interracial marriages. At least 60 votes were needed to break the filibuster. On Tuesday, the Senate voted 61 to 36 to pass the bill. 49 Democrats and 12 Republicans voted in favor of the policy. Indiana Senator Mike Braun voted no on the measure, siding with the majority of Republicans in the Senate. Meanwhile, Senator Todd Young broke ranks with his party and was one of the 12 GOP senators who supported the bill. Here's Senator Chuck Schumer saying the Senate is taking a, quote, bold step forward by advancing the Respect for Marriage Act. Throughout our history, sometimes we've taken very important steps forward. Other times, unfortunately, we've taken steps backward. But today, the Senate is taking a truly bold step forward in the march towards greater justice, greater equality, by advancing the Respect for Marriage Act. It's a simple, narrowly tailored, but exceedingly important piece of legislation that will do so much good for so many Americans. It will make our country a better, fairer place to live. Passing this bill is as personal as it gets for many of us in this chamber. Myself, Madam President, included. My daughter and her wife, my daughter-in-law, are expecting a baby next spring. And I wanna do everything possible to make sure their rights are protected under federal law. I want them and everyone in a loving relationship to live without the fear that their rights could one day be stripped away. No one, no one in a same-sex marriage should have to worry about whether or not their marriage will be invalidated in the future. They deserve peace of mind knowing their rights will always be protected under the law. With this bill, we can take a significant and much-needed step in that direction. The bill is expected to reach President Joe Biden's desk in the coming weeks, where it is expected to be signed into law. That's all for your State House Roundup. For WFHB, I'm Lucinda Larnock.
Catalan sent out notice to their employees that they will be laying off 400 employees before December 2nd. This comes as a shock to the community since the company negotiated with the city of Bloomington back in February for a tax abatement with the promise that they would be expanding and would provide new job opportunities for the residents of Bloomington. In a statement released on Wednesday, Mayor John Hamilton commented on the decision to lay off hundreds of employees at Catalan's Bloomington location. He said, quote, My administration will continue to work with the Bloomington Economic Development Corporation, BEDC, the Greater Bloomington Chamber of Commerce and Catalan in their employees to minimise the impacts on those affected by the layoffs. We will also continue working to bring jobs to Bloomington and connect people with those job opportunities. According to a report by Kevin Dunleavy on November 30th for Fierce Pharma, Catalan also notified its employees in Maryland and Texas that they will be laying off employees. The email sent to employees in Bloomington and Maryland has similar wording, quote, During the pandemic, Catalan significantly increased its cost base to continue to meet the needs of our customers and deliver essential products as well as to meet the needs specific to the pandemic. Given the current phase of the pandemic, the challenging global economic environment, and the need to ensure that Catalan continues to operate efficiently, we have made the difficult decision to reduce or delay some capital expenditure projects and also reduce the size of our workforce in certain areas. End quote. Catalan's Bloomington site is set to lose 400 jobs, whereas the Houston site is expected to lay off 77 workers and the two sites in Maryland are expected to lay off a total of 135 employees. WFHB News reached out to Catalant for an interview. A Catalant spokesperson replied with a statement saying, quote, Since the start of the pandemic, Catalant's Bloomington facility has played a critical role in producing the vaccines and therapies that have protected public health around the world. To meet the needs of the pandemic, we added personnel to the facility at an extraordinary rate to ensure that we could meet our commitments. But now the size and structure of our organization needs to match current demands in order to increase efficiency and cost effectiveness. We will offer severance and job transition support to all impacted employees and will seek to deploy as many as possible to other open roles in the network. Bloomington remains an important part of Catalan's global network and long-term growth strategy, end quote. According to a leaked email from Catalan, the company will notify impacted employees between November 30th and December 2nd. At the November 30th meeting of the Monroe County Commissioner's Health Administrator, Laurie Kelly provided an update on the county health department. Uh, Just a few updates. Locally, we have seen around a 20% increase in COVID-19 hospital admissions this week. BA5 remains to be the most prevalent variant. Uh, Local RSV cases have decreased, and um, the flu shots are available at the public health clinic. You can call 812-353-3244. Commissioner Julie Thomas asked if the public can still receive the vaccine for COVID-19. Kelly replied that they can, and she walked through details on how to book an appointment. And um, just for the public's edification, they can still receive a vaccine for COVID? Yes, absolutely, at the public health clinic. Uh, So appointments can be made at the same number. And the health department also still has free uh, COVID home tests available to the public as well. 
Next, highway engineer Paul Satterley delivered his report on the county's highway department. Satterley gave a rundown on the Fullerton Pike project. Here to give you an update on our Fullerton project. We met with uh, Ms. Quimby and Mr. Gallion yesterday to go over the uh, project uh, between Clearview and Rogers Street. And we discussed the uh, current activities there and we told them that we will not be clearing any trees on their side of the road until we can get uh, better information on the uh, placement of utilities uh, for that section of roadway. So tree clearing is on hold on that section. And uh, but tree clearing continues west of Clearview to Rockport, as well as on the north side uh, along the library frontage there. So that's the current status there. Planning Department Director Jackie Nestor-Jellen said she wanted to make residents aware that the county will hear public input on the Monroe County Consolidated Development Ordinance, or CDO, on December 13th. So we have, um, we're working through the County Development Ordinance, which is an update to our zoning, uh, subdivision control, and zoning map update for the entire county area, all the unincorporated areas in Sciencesville. Um, we are having a public engagement meeting on December 13th. It will be at 5.30 p.m. in the courthouse, third floor, Judge Matthew Hill room. And we invite everyone to attend. We will have a brief presentation by the consultants that are helping us with the update. And then we're actually going to have an interactive um, mapping, printout, uh, engagement with all the public that can attend. For those that are wanting to attend virtually, there'll be a Zoom link forthcoming for them to attend the meeting that way. And then if they can go to the MonroeCDO.com website or give our office a call at 812-349-2560, we'd be happy to walk them through their property individually, um, either this week or another week in the future. So if you go to MonroeCDO.com and click on the Maps tab at the top, you'll actually find our draft zoning map link here. And when you open that, you'll be able to see the draft zoning that is proposed for the unincorporated areas. If you either zoom in on a certain property um, or you can type in the address in the top left-hand corner, you'll be able to see information such as what the proposed zoning is, what the previous or existing zoning is. And then there's also a link to give a feedback survey. Um, which will automatically populate their parcel number and ask the person if they're satisfied or dissatisfied with their zoning. So we encourage anyone and everyone to uh, please attend our meeting on December 13th. Um, hopefully it will be helpful for anyone that is able to join us or they can call our office or contact us uh, for more information after. So thank you. During public comment, court-appointed special advocate Jim Shelton made a plea to residents to consider volunteer opportunities at CASA. I want to alert you and the public that CASA has scheduled their winter training. It will be January 17th through February 16th. For people who are familiar with CASA's schedule, that's a full month of training, which usually is about two weeks. And the reason for that is they're changing the format, hoping to make it available to more people. Instead of being in the evenings, they're going to try having it twice a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. 
So we right now have 21 children who need a CASA that we don't have a volunteer to assign. Uh, applications will be due just about the first of the year. So you've got the, the month of December to go to MonroeCountyCASA.org, click on the volunteer link. Uh, there's an orientation and training page, a frequently asked question page where you can learn a lot more of details. You can call 333-2272 and speak to a staff member and get any questions asked that might help you decide if this is a volunteer opportunity for you. It's very satisfying. Uh, it's badly needed. Uh, the courts will tell you they couldn't possibly take care of the uh, child abuse and neglect cases without a CASA. So please consider it and uh, look into uh, submitting an application. Thank you. Then the commission has heard a sub-grant agreement for the Monroe County Health Department. Health Administrator Laurie Kelly elaborated on the agreement. So this uh, contract was first presented on the November 2nd work session. Um, this is something that I'm very excited about. I think it's a great opportunity for us to be able to increase um, access to um, family pregnancy uh, counseling services, long-acting reversible contraceptive devices um, for the public. The Commission has approved the Path for You subgrant agreement unanimously. The next Monroe County Commissioners meeting will happen at 10am on December 7th. Earlier this year, the Indiana General Assembly voted to ban abortion in Indiana with limited exceptions. Then an Owen County judge blocked the state's abortion ban from being enforced in September. WFHB correspondent Gracie Roman speaks with law professor Dr. Jennifer Droback and state representative Shelley Yoda about where the law stands now. We now turn to Grace Roman for more. Reproductive health care resources are still available in the right places for Hoosiers in need, despite the current instability as Indiana legislature became the first in the nation to pass an abortion ban responsive to the Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade this past June. Simone Bailey, an 18-year-old first-year student at Community College and a secret relationship which had grown unhealthy, struggled to afford a $15 pregnancy test. When she turned the test stick over and the small digital screen read pregnant, she was immediately struck with fear. Bailey knew she did not have the resources to carry through with the pregnancy, nor did she want to carry the child of her covert partner. While the process to abortion was lengthy and traumatic, she wouldn't have had access to the procedure if it weren't for the landmark Supreme Court decision, Roe v. Wade, which protected the right to an abortion for Americans. Bailey shared her story with the Indy Star after Roe v. Wade was overturned June 24, 2022. Roe v. Wade was a landmark Supreme Court decision in 1973 recognizing that the decision whether to continue or end a pregnancy belongs to the individual and also served as a legal precedent recognizing the right to privacy protected in the 14th Amendment. In response to the Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, Indiana became the first state legislature to pass an abortion ban in the United States, Senate Bill 1. Owen County Judge Kelsey Hanlon issued a preliminary injunction against the ban, regaining temporary access to abortion in the state as Indiana courts mitigate two lawsuits filed against them, 
by the American Civil Liberties Union, ACLU Indiana. Jennifer Ann Droback is a law professor at Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis, specializing in family, juvenile, and sexual harassment law. She explains the arguments the ACLU is taking in their two lawsuits. From the 14th Amendment Equal Protection Clause in the United States Constitution, arguing that men have unfettered access to appropriate medical care and women do not, that men have a right to bodily autonomy, and now women of childbearing years do not. So this is an equal protection argument. It's also, they would argue, a bodily autonomy issue, that you just, you have a right to bodily autonomy, and SB1 ignores that. They've also made an argument for a First Amendment argument, a freedom of religion argument. That is, Indiana, in its SB1, defined human life as beginning at fertilization. And not all religions, that's a very Christian perspective, particularly Catholic. Not all religions, I mean, Muslims do not define life. They, They define human life at live birth. Personhood begins with live birth in in the Jewish tradition, live birth. And in some Mm -hmm. conservative Jewish traditions, it's with the naming ceremony at, at 120 days after birth. The arguments made by the ACLU is that Senate Bill 1 is in violation of the 14th, 1st, and 9th Amendments. The rejection of Roe v. Wade, the passing of Senate Bill 1, and the ignorance of the constitutional amendments could impact more than just reproductive health care access. Right. So... The majority decision in Dobbs said, no, 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 there is no right of privacy in the Constitution to abortion, because uh, the word abortion is not in the Constitution. Well, neither mm-hmm. is the word marriage, and neither yeah. is any discussion of having children. So the right to procreate is not in the Constitution. And it's the right to travel is not in the Constitution. You have to go back to the Articles of Confederation to find any right to travel. So the Constitution is a brilliant and short document. And and the Ninth Amendment, are you familiar with the Ninth Amendment? I have my handy-dandy Constitution right here. And the Ninth Amendment, and if there's no substantive due process liberty, then Number one, you don't have a right to contraception. You don't have a right to get married. You do not have a right to procreate. Oh, by the way, you don't have a right to raise, control, and nurture your own children. State Senator Shelley Yoder represents all citizens of Indiana's 40th district, encompassing the majority of Monroe County and the Indiana University Bloomington campus. The assistant minority leader was in the state building during the passing of Senate Bill 1. She spoke with WFHB about her experience in the Indiana Congress. For many Hoosiers, it was traumatic. And to see the hundreds 
day after day to turn out in opposition of Senate Bill 1 and to have the courage to stand up and share the most intimate of details and parts of someone's personal life and story in front of people who may or may not care took such courage. It was humbling. It was, for me, a sacred space because these are stories that people probably thought they would never have to share publicly, and yet people did because when people feel desperate, they do desperate things, and people felt desperate. When your freedoms are being taken away from you, you feel desperate, and what we felt and saw and witnessed during the special session was heartbreaking and humbling. And it should have been a wake-up call that Hoosiers did not want Senate Bill 1. For Senator Yoder, the heartbreak wasn't only the day of the bill's passing on July 30th. It was for all Indiana women and Hoosiers capable of pregnancy from that day forward. Heartbreak, traumatized, fear. Fear that access to care has now been eliminated. Traumatized that people no longer have the ability to determine their own futures. Traumatized that they are not seen by the supermajority in Indiana as full people deserving of their full humanity and dignity to be able to determine their own futures and access the care that they need uh, when they need it. And heartbroken that for for 15 years, uh, women have been able to receive care that they need uh, as a result of the many reasons. I think this is what became so clear is access to abortion care covers so much. But at the end of the day, the person who should be deciding is the woman and her healthcare provider. And those are very difficult, painful, complicated conversations to have. And state legislators, the supermajority the Republicans interjected themselves and said, we don't trust you to make that decision. We believe we have the answers and the right to be able to say what you can and cannot do with your body. While litigation of the ACLU lawsuits are still moving through the courts, Hoosiers still have access to reproductive health care. Local governments in the area are providing ways to make that access less challenging for those in need. Thursday, October 27th, the city of Bloomington announced it will release $200,000 in emergency reproductive health care grants in response to the legal action of the state. Beverly Callender Anderson, the Director of Community and Family Resources for the city of Bloomington, explains how the city is doing its best to provide where they can. And while the grant money doesn't pay for abortions directly, it can cover a wide range of cost factors such as educational literature, transportation, and post-op exams. $100,000 in grants have been allotted for the current fiscal year, and $100,000 for the next. For more information, contact Beverly Callender Anderson at andersb at bloomington.in.gov. The Bloomington Planned Parenthood office is located at 421 South College Avenue, 
and can be contacted at 317-205-8088. Hoosiers, make sure to get out to vote and educate yourself and others. In the words of Professor Jennifer Androbeck, Roll up your sleeves. <laughs> Let's get busy. For WFHB, I'm Grace Romine. Up next, Holiday Hazards on Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment on WFHB. We turn to host and producer Richard Fish for more. Welcome to Better Beware. Here's your consumer watchdog from WFHB Community Radio with the latest information and helpful hints designed to keep your head out of the clouds, your feet on the ground, and your money in your pocket. Well, Black Friday and Cyber Monday have come and gone, and the holiday shopping season is in full swing for you and me and also for the scammers out there. In a recent survey of Americans taken by Experian, almost one quarter of the respondents reported being victims of fraud or identity theft during the holidays, and that figure doubled from last year. While you're searching for presents for your favorite people, it's important to avoid giving gifts to grifters. And here are some things to watch out for. Fraudsters can't build a fake Walmart or Target store with a big parking lot and lure customers inside, but they can do exactly that online. There are extremely elaborate fake websites that look just like the real ones, offer the same merchandise, and work just fine. Except that your money goes to the crooks and your credit card info does too. There are fake links to these fake websites sent out in emails and text messages and found on other websites and pop-ups, so it's best to type in T-A-R-G-E-T dot C-O-M or whatever the store name is and watch your spelling. A single wrong character can send you to a fake site. Always check the address shown in your browser. Look for the HTTPS prefix S stands for secure, and for that little locked padlock icon. Then there are the phony emails and texts from stores and shippers. I got a text last week that said it was a FedEx message, we were unable to deliver your parcel, and had a link to tap. But it came from a phone number, not from Federal Express, and I wasn't expecting any deliveries. So I blocked the phone number, reported the text to my phone provider, and deleted it. If you get a message you think might be legitimate, it's safer to respond by going to the company's real website or calling their customer service number. Gift cards are very popular with givers and with con artists. The crooks sell gift cards on the internet in sites like Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace, and the card they send will have expired or been used up and have no value. Only buy gift cards from the company that issues them. And if you're doing that in person, make sure the packaging is completely intact. Never use your debit card online, and I don't use mine when I'm out of town. A credit card is much safer. 
or you could get a prepaid card. Those can be easily reloaded, and even if someone hacks into them, they can't get to your bank account or access your credit limit. Or you could set up a second checking account at your bank with its own debit card and transfer just enough money into it to pay for your purchases. Or you can always just shop locally and pay cash. There's a thought. I'm Richard Fish for WFHB News and Public Affairs. Better Beware comes to you from WFHB Bloomington, Indiana. Find all our episodes at wfhb.org. If you can help put the kibosh on a con, email beware at wfhb.org. Remember, swindlers never give a sucker an even break. Support for the WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by myself and Noel Herhusky Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Grace Romine. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Lucinda Larnock. And I'm Cade Young. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at wfhb.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters WFHB wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for Big Talk, a one-on-one conversation with some of Bloomington's most fascinating people. Coming up next on WFHB.